morning. We are in this series called Written on Our Hearts, where we want God's word to penetrate into our hearts, not just our minds, but we want it deep within our souls. We want to live out of the word of God. The whole year, 2018, is about listening for the voice of God. And the clearest place that we hear the voice of God is not through crazy visions or writing on a wall, although that happens in this book, but it's through this book. And so we want this book to be written on our hearts. And so we are on week number six. Who's feeling brave this morning? I bet somebody's feeling brave about week one. Week one was John eleven thirty five, which was what? Jesus wept. Very good. You got that one. All right. Week two was Galatians five twenty two. I'll give you a hint. Uh, it talks about the spirit, the spirit for the gift, for the fruit. I mean, for the fruit of the spirit, for the fruit of the spirit. Somebody want to help me with this? Somebody be brave for the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The, the goodness, faithfulness, gentleness always gets kind of like niner, niner trailing off. Okay, good. Week number three was Numbers 6, verse 24. I say it at the end of almost every single service. So how does that one go? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn... This is where we, get, this is where we trail off. Turn His face toward you and give you His peace. Right? Okay? Good. Week number four. Week number four was 1 Thessalonians... Uh, 5 verse 16 is about being full. Do you remember that? That's your hint. It's about being full. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Come on. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Very good. Ben Holst. Joyful, prayerful, thankful. Okay? You can get that. All right. Week number five last week was Romans 8, 38 and 39. I had somebody this morning say, that's the hardest one to remember. So I'm going to ask you, Michelle. (laughs) What is it? Come on. Yep. Um, Present. Come on, Michelle! Good job! Awesome! That's so good. Takes me all week, too. I'm telling you. So, so good. Um, These are great. Memorize them. Review them. Have people quiz you on them. Get these written on your hearts. I'm telling you, these are... These are a well to draw from, right? You're going to have a moment. We talked about this last week. You're going to have a moment. We're not going to feel the love of God. And you need to go back to the well that says there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You don't need that written on your head. You don't need to be fumbling through your Bible trying to figure out where that is. You need it written on your hearts. Okay. All right. All right. Week number six This is a very practical message. Um, highly applicable for our day and age, right? Um, this is probably going to poke at you. Fair warning, especially if you're younger, this is totally going to poke at you because it poked at me big time. All right. Um, and here is the passage Philippians four, eight, let's say it together. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, come on. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's a question for you this morning. What gets your attention? What gets your attention? You know, when you wake up in the morning, maybe, what's the, what's the first thing you think about? Is it, I need to check my email? I need to check what's going on in the news? What's your morning routine? What gets your immediate attention? What, in the middle of the day, can, can distract your attention? Right? You're paying attention to your work and all of a sudden there's something that comes into your life. Something pops up on your phone, a text message or something, and it gets your attention. So we live in a world that wants your attention. We live in a world that has billboards that want your attention. We live in a world where we have these things and they want your attention. Okay? They buzz, they phantom buzz. You think you got a message and you didn't, right? Um, You're looking at it probably, statistically, it says between 100 and 150 times a day, the average American looks at their smartphone. Not sure it's making us smarter. Uh, fair, Fair warning, right? So what gets your attention? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. When the dust settles on one day, what has received your attention, your focus, your vision? What gets, what gets your attention? And before we get into the heart of this, because I, we want to pay attention to what Scripture is teaching us this morning, I, I just want to say this honestly. And this is the observation, second point in your outline. Passionately following Jesus, this is what we do at Big Sky Christian Fellowship. Our our statement is we passionately follow Jesus together. We don't make it too hard. We make it very, very simple. We say, hey, this is what we all have to do. We passionately follow Jesus together. We want to invite other people to passionately follow Jesus together. We want our world to passionately follow Jesus together. We think that everybody would be better off if we were passionately following Jesus together. But here's what passionately following Jesus means. It's going to mean some some things are going to change in your life. It means that you're going to get into the Word of God and you're going to be poked. And you're going to be prodded. And you're going to be shaped. Um, So, so an artist will take a rock and they'll chip away all the rock that doesn't belong until the actual sculpture is there, right? Right? And see, Jesus is chipping away at you, making him more and more like him every day. And guess what? Getting chipped doesn't feel good all the time. And so the master craftsman, he is crafting you, he is shaping you, he is forming you. And the beauty of the gospel is that it, 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 you, you need to bring nothing, but you need to also bring everything. See, grace is a gift, Right? It's it's not earned so that you can boast. It's a free gift. Grace is a free gift. So you don't have to come with something. It doesn't cost you anything to come. But for those who follow Jesus, we know the paradox is it also costs us everything. That God's going to ask for every single aspect of your life. He's not going to say, oh, follow me, except in your finances. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say to you, oh, follow me, except in your parenting. He's not going to say, follow me, except in the way you run your business. He's going to say, I want it all. I want it all. 
And so the beauty of the gospel, but the terrifying nature of the gospel is that it's completely free, but that it costs you everything. And I think that this sermon in particular is going to hit us right between the eyes when it comes to some things that might need to change. By the way, this sermon's for you. It's not for somebody else. Okay? So when I go through these things, don't be looking at your spouse. Don't be looking at your next Don't be thinking, oh, I should make sure that so-and-so listens to this podcast. All right? This is for you this morning. You understand me? Okay? You with me? All right. Here we go. I like having my hands. This is fantastic. All right. Let's look at it. Six virtues and excellent and praiseworthy life. This is what Paul is talking about here this morning. He says at the end, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And he unpacks what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. And so we want to look at uh, these six, six aspects, these six virtues of an excellent and praiseworthy life. Number one, it says, whatever is true. Whatever is true. The definition of true is this. It's in accordance with fact or reality. Truth is something that is in accordance, in line with fact or reality. And so the question is this. Are you truthful? Are we truth tellers? Do we tell the truth? I'm going to pick on technology all kinds today because I read this book this week called, I reread some of it, called Amusing Ourselves to Death. That's fantastic. Neil Postma, uh, written in the 80s, and you would think he was living yesterday when he wrote it, right? Um, I'm going to pick on technology a, a little bit. Um, because are you, are you truthful on Facebook or on Instagram? I mean, do you post just as many bad days as you do good days? Or do you post your highlight reel, right? I mean, it's just a really interesting world that we live on that you can, you can just put yourself out there, that you can make your identity known to other people, and you get to pick what you want to put out there. And you don't actually have to be real truthful in it. You can just give people your highlight reel. You don't have to be honest about what is actually going on in your life. You can put a very nice facade on the things that are going on in your life. So do you tell the truth? Are you a truth teller? Do you, do you pursue truth? Do you want to know what is true? Do you want to know what is in accordance with fact or reality? Um, see, truth takes work. It takes research. It takes a deep soul searching to say, am I going to be truthful? Am I going to pursue truth? One of the ways that we're pursuing truth in our home, uh, I bought this book that Buzz Tatum recommended to me called Cold Case Christianity. And it's about a detective, who, a real-life detective, who investigated the claims of the Bible and the claims of Jesus in the Bible. Came to it as an atheist. And he said, listen, I, I'm a detective. I'm a homicide detective. I'm going to investigate the murder of Jesus. And I'm going to see what I come up with in terms of conclusions. And do you know what he concluded? Everything said in the Bible seems to have evidence that it really happened. That was his evidence. That, that's what he said. He is now a Christian. Right? He did the research. He did the homework. And he said, man... If I was in a courtroom and the evidence just kept stacking up like this, if the truth, the reality of this just kept stacking up with me, I would say, man, this really happened. This was true. My son uh, got a version of the book, uh, so he gets to be a little detective. I get to be a big detective, and we get to be detectives together, and we get to research together the claims of Christianity, the claims of Jesus. Truth comes through research. It takes a while. 
And, and a great place to find truth is in literature. That's all, it's called a book. I'm just, okay, I'm telling you, I'm picking on technology this morning. This is a book. It has pages in it. It's fantastic. It's got great ideas in it. Um, and you can go to libraries that are full of them. You can, there, there are online libraries as well. Jimmy Kimmel, the great Jimmy Kimmel, who has a late night show, um, he, he came across some evidence last week, uh, or some research that said three out of four Americans have not read a book in the last year. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, okay? Uh, but they said three out of four Americans has not read a, a book cover to cover in the past year. And so Jimmy Kimmel, you can watch this on YouTube later. That, it's a, that's a good waste of time, I think. No, probably not. Anyway, um, Jimmy Kimmel went out in the streets of Hollywood and he interviewed people uh, about how, what, what, name a book. That was the question. Name a book. Any book. Name a book. And the people just stood there staring at the screen. Uh, uh, one lady said, she said, I haven't read a book in 16 years. She's just really honest. I haven't read a book in 16 years. Um, one guy said, uh, Moby Dick. And everybody was like, oh. And he was like, yeah, he's that author, Moby Dick. And he wrote that book called um, Cheetah or something. And I'm like, what? Right? And then they asked him, hey, what's, what, what's the last book you actually remember reading cover to cover? And do you know what the number one answer was on the street in Hollywood? Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. And they probably didn't read it. They probably had somebody read it to them. Right? Right? Um, see, being about truth is, is, is being about researching. It's about knowing. It's about doing the hard work to find knowledge in a world that is just bombarding you with noise. And filtering through the noise and seeing what is the truth. So... Whatever is true, whatever is, number two, noble. The definition of noble is this, having high morals or principles. The picture here is of nobility. Okay, we get the word nobility uh, connected to this word, right? Someone who has a higher class of where they're from. Okay, how many of you watched The Royal Wedding? Raise your hands. You watched it, yeah, okay. I saw some highlights. Pastor was preaching. That dude was preaching. Right? Um, that was pretty awesome. So, Miss Meghan Markle, that's a mouthful, Miss Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got married uh, this past week, right? So, big deal, lots of celebrities, huge deal. When, when, when somebody from the royal family gets married, it's, it's huge. And so, Miss Meghan Markle, she married into the royal family. She is now Nobility, And what's really interesting about her new life is that she now has to present herself in a different way. And that's what nobility is. Being noble is, is about living at a higher standard. And so I, I found this really interesting article that says this. Here, here's some of the fun things that Meghan Markle now needs to do now that she's part of the royal family. She has to basically... Um, uh, submit herself to all the wishes of the queen. And her and the queen, they don't dress alike, I don't think. So there's a lot of conversations they're going to have. But here's some interesting things, right? Um, she's not allowed to take selfies anymore. I think that's a rule we should all follow. That's fantastic, right? Not allowed to take selfies anymore. That's just genius. Uh, she's not allowed to vote or hold uh, public political opinions. 
She can have political opinions, but she's got to keep them to herself. That's awesome. That would be good for us, too. <laughs> okay. Um, she's not allowed to go out alone. She can't go out alone. She has to have somebody with her to keep her safe. She's part of the noble family, the royal family now. She lives at a different standard than the rest of us. Um, she has a royal standard of dress. She has what she can wear and what she can't wear. And what she used to wear, she can't wear anymore. Right? See, she's held to a higher standard because she's part of nobility. Noble is about being held to a higher standard. It's about holding yourself to a higher standard in life. It's about saying this. It's about saying this. In, in, in weddings, I occasionally do this. I'm going to do some premarital with you guys this week, right? I'm going to do some premarital counseling. And we'll talk about some of this. Um, you're going to marry... I'm going to come down. You're going to marry a daughter of the king. Which makes her what? It makes her a princess. Queen someday. Yeah. Princess, right? right. You're going to marry a son of the king, correct? Which makes him a... Right. So it means you are married to nobility. Right? You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. And what I will say to you in premarital counseling, and I might even say it uh, to you from time to time as we go, is, hey, are you treating each other like nobility? Are you treating each other at that higher standard? Are you holding that person up? Are you saying, you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. You are part of the most noble family of all. Are we treating each other in a noble way? See, see, for those of you in the room that say, I'm a Christian, you are a son or daughter of the king. You should live at a higher standard. God, God wants to lift you up and say, be part of my family. Act like I act. Behave like I behave. Live like I showed you how to live when I was walking on this earth. Abide by my word. Hold yourself up to this noble standard of life. Whatever is noble. Whatever is right. Whatever is right. I'm going I'm to ruin it for some of you this morning. This doesn't mean conservative Republican. Okay? I said it. There you go. It does not mean what... That's not what Paul's saying. Okay? Some of us think that that's what it means. And you're not right about that. You're wrong about being right. I'm just going to say it that way. Because here's the deal. I'm just going to... I'm going to make a public political statement because I'm not part of the noble family. Okay? There are Republicans who love Jesus. There are Democrats that love Jesus. There are independents that love Jesus. There are people living in communist countries right now who love Jesus more than most of us. Okay? So this is not about politics. This is about right and wrong. The definition of of right is doing things correctly. There's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way to do things. And and there's some interconnection between these six, right? We might say, well, this is really connected to truth. It is. If you know the truth, you you know what's right. You know what's wrong. But have you ever had this? Somebody knows the truth, but maybe they say it to you in the wrong way. (laughs) Ever had that? Don't raise your hand if you've been that person, right? 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 See, you, you, you can have the truth, but you can say it in the wrong way. There is a right way to do things, and there is a wrong way to do things. There is a correct way to live as a Christian, and there is an incorrect way to live as a Christian. And I think we make this too hard. I really do. 
I think, we, I think inherently many of us know what's right and what's wrong. But I have these funny gray area conversations with some of you, right? And, and, the, and I used to really have them when I was working with middle school and high school kids. Because they'd come to me and they, I won't pick on you. I'll pick on these kids that you don't know. Okay? So middle school, high school kids. And they'd come to me and they would ask questions about, like, how far can I go with my boyfriend? Or um, how, how can I, you know, or, or my, how far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend? How, whether or not Jesus is okay with certain types of um, drugs, uh, whether or not, like, so, and they would have these questions for me. And they'd be like, Pastor Brian, hey, what do you think Jesus thinks about? And what they didn't really want to know is what does Jesus think? They want to know what Pastor Brian thinks. They want to know, is it okay? Is it right to do this? Or is it wrong to do this? And they weren't actually asking because they wanted to know if it would be wrong. Right? They wanted to know if that would be okay. If it would be right to do. And so I'd walk them through things like saying, hey, in the Bible it says you need to submit to the authorities. Those who are governing you. So if you're not 21, you shouldn't be drinking. shouldn't be drinking. It's that simple. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. But we love to make things fuzzy. We do. We love it. Right? And we love having these banters and these conversations. And well, but the law doesn't understand. It doesn't matter. If you know the Word of God, we have these conversations. And we say, hey, how does Jesus want us to live this life? And I think often we make it way too hard. There's a right way to live. There's a wrong way to live. And when we're living wrong, we, most of us know it. Right? You might not admit it to somebody, but you know when you're living wrong. I know when I'm living wrong. I don't need to check the book half the time when I'm living wrong. I'm like, that was wrong. Yelled at my wife again. That was wrong. Yelled at my kids again. That was wrong. Yelled at my dog again. That was right. So, <laughs> so we need to be true. We need to pursue truth. We need to pursue nobility. We need to pursue being right, not wrong. Number four. Uh, we need to be pure. So in this uh, amazing book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, Neil Postman says that you can learn a lot about a culture by looking at the most important cities of that culture. And so he talks through um, how in the United States, um, Boston was at one time uh, kind of the, the hub of America at one time New York was the hub of America Chicago was the hub of America and then this is what he says today we must look at the city of Las Vegas Nevada as a metaphor of our national character and aspiration its symbol a 30 foot high cardboard picture of a slot machine and a chorus girl for Las Vegas is a city entirely devoted to the idea of entertainment and as such proclaims the spirit of a culture of which all public discourse increasingly takes the form of entertainment. Our politics, religion, news, a- athletics, education, and commerce have been transformed into con- congenial adjuncts of show business, largely without protest or even much popular notice. The result is that we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. He states that you can find American identity in Las Vegas. <laughs> I took my family to Las Vegas last year. I have a four and a five-year-old. We went to Henderson, which is not in Las Vegas. It's on Lake Las Vegas. Uh, it's kind of the spillway um, for, come on, what's that big 
Hoover Dam, thank you very much. Um, it's actually quite a cool place. You're outside, but we went down to the strip one night and it smells like sweat and broken dreams. You know what I mean? Um, it's horrible. And, 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 and how I know it's horrible is when I took my four and five year old down there and I was like, Eli, don't look that way. Eli, don't look that way. Hey, Eli. Hey, buddy. Hey, look over here. Oh, we need to go in the M&M store because you can't look at anything that's going on around you. Right? I mean, I remember driving through the town, down to downtown, and driving out of town, and I said to Lori, as we were getting out of town, I said to her, after a full day being down there, I said, do you know what I noticed? And she's like, what? Because there's a lot of things to notice. I said, "Um, I haven't seen a church yet. I've seen lots of chapels with Elvis standing out in front, right? But I haven't seen a church yet. We, we, We finally found one. I mean, that night as we were getting home, I was like, oh, there's a church! It's got a cross and everything, right? Service times and the whole deal. Uh, I'm not going to bag on Las Vegas. It's, you, you can go there and you can have a fun time, but, but here's the reality. Las Vegas is built upon greed, sex, drugs, hedonism at its finest. Whatever you want, whenever you want. It doesn't matter if it's three in the morning. doesn't matter. Whatever. Whatever you want. You see, it, in some ways, it's become the American dream that you get to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. And that is not pure. That's filthy. You know how I feel after I spend a day on the strip? I, I feel filthy. If you've ever made the mistake of wearing sandals on the Las Vegas Strip, your feet are literally filthy, right? It's filthy. And we are called to a different kind of purity. The definition of pure is free from any contamination. Here's some TV stats. Man, i got to start running. We're late. Okay. Here's some TV stats. The amount of violence on primetime television has has risen a thousand percent in the last 20 years. Sex has risen by about the same rate, explicit sexuality, in primetime television. By age 18, this is the American Psychiatric Association. By age 18, a a U.S. youth will have seen 16,000 simulated murders and 200,000 acts of violence. You don't think this is having an effect on our culture? Several studies about sexuality from psychology today in the U.S. say that the average age for a young boy to see sexually explicit content on the internet or on television is 8 to 10 years of age. And whatever you assume about how that affects their life is true. The amount that they're exposed to it, that's how much that they engage in it. Um, the more they are exposed, the more active they are. The more they expose, the more they're actually, uh, um, the, the more they're likely to commit sexual violence. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And I'll just tell you this: the studies are not positive. They're not positive. Our kids sitting in front of a screen without any parental supervision is a horrible idea, and it's going to kill a whole generation if we don't stop it. We need to be pure in thought, in deed, in action. Pure, not dirty. Number five, lovely. Lovely. The definition of lovely is exquisitely beautiful. This is, all the guys in the room are like, oh yeah, I got that. No, you don't. Okay, right? Like, lovely. (laughs) Um, The word here it speaks to um, being beautiful, but it also speaks to being loved. 
We need to live into the fact that we are the beloved. We are loved by God himself, and it makes us lovely. And so we don't need to adorn ourselves. We don't need to make ourselves look prettier than we are. We don't, we don't need to work so hard on this people. We are lovely in the sight of God Almighty, and that matters more than anybody else's opinion. Right? You are lovely because you are a daughter of the king. Can I just talk to the women in the, in the room right now? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the other opinions, young gals especially. It doesn't matter the, uh, the, the opinions of the young men in this society. God himself sees you as lovely. You don't need to meet their standard. You just need to live into his standard. And he loves you just the way you are. At least does he love you just the way you are? You got that right. He loves you just the way you are. Do you know why? Because you're lovely. You're lovely. You're lovely. We stand in awe at the beautiful rainbows because they're lovely. We stand in awe of the mountain because it's lovely. God surrounds us with the beauty of his love and goodness. And he has created it lovely. And so in stark contrast to what I was just talking about, the filth and the impurities of life, God has created things lovely that we should fix our thoughts upon whatever is lovely. My daughter in here. Baby girl, where are you? Are you awake? I didn't even plan on this. I'll pay you $5 later. That's the deal we got in our family. If I use them for an example, now I have to pay them $5 because they get mad at me when I use them for example. This one is lovely. Nancy, she's a little bit of a troublemaker, aren't you? Yeah. But you're lovely. Do you know that? And God loves you, and Daddy loves you because you're lovely, okay? You're lovely. All right, all right. They got it. Okay. I'll pay you $5 later. Okay. Number six. Don't have time. Here we go. Number six. They're admirable. Whatever is admirable. Ad- admirable. Definition. Deserving respect or approval. Do you have people in your life that you admire? I do. Uh, I admire Alan Johnson. He's one of our elders, uh, filled with wisdom and patience. Uh, I am. I. I admire my father. He has this. Just incredible passion for God. If, if God told him to drop everything and move to the other side of the world tomorrow, my dad would not, would not hesitate. He's just that kind of guy. That's where I got it from, man. Right? He's a passionate follower of Jesus. I admire my father-in-law who's here because of his generosity. He's a very, very generous man. I've learned a lot about generosity from him. I admire my wife for her grace and beauty, the way she parents our kids much better than I do. She loves me and she loves them often when we don't deserve it. I admire Peter in the Bible because he's a tenacious leader. I admire a bunch of old dead theologians, John Calvin and Martin Luther. I admire them. They're like my old dead friends, okay? And I collect them on my shelves and we hang out and talk sometimes, right? I I admire Augustine and and the great church fathers. And most of all, I I admire Jesus. And so here's two facets of this. One, do you have people that you admire? And secondly, are you admirable? Are you worthy of being admired? Like, that's what I want to be someday. I want my kids to admire me someday. 
I want this to say, man, dad tried his best. He loved me well. He cared for me well. I, I want to follow in his footsteps. Are you living a life that is admirable that people might say, hey, I, w- I admire that person. I admire their quiet strength. I admire the way that they work behind the scenes. I, I admire um, how they pursue life. I admire their wisdom or their patience. Are you an admirable person? See, these six Christian virtues call us to intentional living. Let me review. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. These six Christian virtues reveal a call to intentional living. See, uh, the Christian life will not happen on accident. Yes, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide and will lead us. Um, but, but here's the thing. Very few good things happen accidentally, right? Lots of bad things happen accidentally. And it's the same with the Christian life. It's the same with the pursuit of Jesus. That if we're not intentional about this, if we're not intentional about pursuing these virtues, then we're, then we're not pursuing excellence in a praiseworthy life. And, and here's what it's all about. It's about focus. It's about focus. I said this earlier. What gets your attention? And living as a Christian is about intentionality. Um, it's not about a list of don'ts. Maybe you heard that this morning. It's actually not about a list of don'ts. It's about a list of one to do. And that is fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you know who is true? Jesus. Do you know who is noble? Jesus. Do you know who is right? Jesus. Do you know who is pure? Jesus. Do you know who is lovely? Jesus. Do you know who is admirable? Jesus. And so this is going to take great intentionality for us to fix our vision on something else. Do you know what TV stands for? Tell a what? Television. What gets your attention? What do you have your living room set up for? What are you staring at? What's the center of your life? What gets your attention? See, this is a call to intentional living where we fix and focus our eyes on Jesus. There's this, there's this um, worship song. It says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Anybody knows? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Here's the challenge. Live deeply in a shallow world. There's a difference between filet mignon and round stick. There is a difference between a really good French press with beans straight from Colombia versus Folgers Instant Coffee. Come on. Now we're preaching. Here's what Jesus said. John 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the, who knows it? To the fullest. Abundantly. And, and I'm not, if you're not a Christian in here, I'm not trying to be offensive to you this morning, but our life is better. Our life is better. It's fuller. It's richer. It's deeper. When we see a rainbow, we don't say, oh, that's just a reflection of water through light. We say, no, that's a sign of God's covenant of love that he'll never destroy us like that again. 
when, when, we, when we get to love our kids, we get to understand that they're borrowed from God, that they're actually his kids first and foremost, and that we just get to love them well and usher them into his kingdom. It takes a lot of pressure off of us. Our life, our life is better. Everything tastes better. Everything seems better. And you are called into a life of fullness. Jesus says, come, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so I just want to invite you into this. Live deeply. Passionately follow Jesus. Live a deep life in a shallow world. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would impress these words upon us. I pray that you would help us. This is hard. And it's going to take a lot of effort. And we thank you, God, that you go with us, that your Holy Spirit leads and guides us so that we're not on our own trying to figure this out, but that you can lead us into all that is true and noble and right, all that is pure and lovely and admirable. And you can lead us to an excellent, praiseworthy life. Jesus, we ask that that would begin now for us, that this week would be filled with these virtues, and that right now we would begin by praising you and fixing our eyes upon you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand to sing one last song.